0: Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking.
1: My physical potential is more than what my brain is telling me it is right now. I know I can do it. I just have to understand that I don't want to. Like, it's going to hurt. So it's like a constant battle of back and forth of like, this is awful. You have so far to go. Yeah. And like, no, you can do it. You're okay.
0: You say, Oh, I ran a bad race. I'm not going to run anymore. Or do you put your shoes back on and say, That wasn't my best race, but I learned this, this, and this, and I can take that forward and be a better runner, better athlete, better person.
1: Welcome to the Afternoon Snack Podcast. I am your favorite host, Alex. Favorite. Come on. And this is your second favorite host, Meredith. Thank you. And today we are going to be talking about my experience at the LA marathon. We talked about pre LA marathon, now we're going to be talking about post. I talk about how I didn't achieve my goal, but some of the things that I learned and kind of get into the nitty-gritty of what I was experiencing in those last 6 miles, which if anyone ever run Pain. ever run a marathon, you know what I'm talking about. So, it's a good one. It's a good wrap up and we talk a little bit about AirPods and not L- air air tags. air tags. Air tags and DTLA.
0: So based on our last travel experience, I got air tags. For luggage this time, which by the way, if you travel a lot and are checking bags, that's actually really handy to have because you at least see if when you land, you like turn on your iPhone, you at least confirm that your bags are in the airport with you, which we did both ways and it was great. Can you label them? It was like, you know, Meredith's bag, Alex's bag, and then it shows kind of where they are handy, right? And then also, if you're a spectator for like a runner or triathlete or something, It was also really handy giving you an air tag so that I could track you not only during the race, but also at the end when you I was trying to to locate you. That
1: That was key.
0: Yeah, that was really, really handy to have. So pro tip, I put that in our story because I like chronicled the marathon, put that in our story and people were like, that is
1: so smart. And I was like, thank you. I know. I stuck it in my bra. Yeah. It was tucked up against my breast. Not on the nipple, just off to the side. Yeah, that would
0: create irritation on the nipple. So I bought a four pack of AirTags from Apple. They're like 140 bucks for four or something, pretty cheap. And so one for each of our bags and then I labeled one just Alex. That was the one that you're supposed to wear. And then she forgot to bring that one to... She just like put it in her pocket when we were packing, forgot to bring it to LA. So I had to like relabel her luggage tag so that she wasn't called Alex's baggage. <laughs> so anyways, we get back, we're unpacking and Alex, I was like, where's your other air tag? Cause I was like setting them aside so we don't lose them. And she was like, Oh, I don't know. I'll have to look for it. I was like, no, I can just, that's the whole point of an air tag. I'll just find it on my phone. <laughs> I'm pretty sure if it was up to you, you would have been like hunting like I through the closet with your like eyeballs trying to find this air tag instead of just going onto your phone and being like locate air tag. So when
1: I said that, I was like, I'll just have to look for it. And then I thought, make sure before I do my dirty laundry that I check through that because it could be in one of the pockets of the clothing and the dirty laundry. But it was actually in a clean-ish pair of pants that I had restocked back into the closet. Do you think you would have found it? Yeah, because I would have checked like pants. But your way was easier. Yes. My way (laughs) streamlined that process. And even though Meredith loves the air tag, because you can see if your bag made it, because of her most recent travel to North Carolina, which if you listen, you've heard about, she was on top of tracking those bags. Yeah. And so as soon as we landed in L.A., We get to the airport early. So sometimes I think, what if you get to the airport too early? Is that a risk for bags getting on the plane? It is. And so we were there pretty early because we wanted to take advantage of the lounge. And I like getting there early. And so when we landed in LA, the first thing Meredith does when we land is open her phone, as everybody does. And this like thing popped down that said, Meredith bag was left behind. My bag had updated and it was in LA. Alex's bag, you could trace it to LA airports. It was yeah. on the plane. Meredith's bag was still in Calgary.
0: It said like Meredith's bag, 3,600 kilometers away or however
1: many yeah. kilometers it is. And so I was like, well, at least my bag <laughs> made it.
0: I know. And I was like, well, at least I know I won't be waiting around. And I was like mentally going through like, Hey, I'm going to have to like buy stuff in LA because I definitely am not going to get this bag in time to use. <laughs> you said
1: at least you packed panties. <laughs> I did.
0: This time I put panties and a sleep shirt in my...
1: And it wasn't that a dirty happened. thong in the in one of your <laughs> jacket pockets. So
0: I was like, shoot, okay, well, that sucks. And then it was updated and like all of a sudden my bag was in LA. It was great. It felt like you said Christmas morning and nothing had changed except your perception of reality.
1: Yeah. It was great. Just the re- reaction though, it was like, what? Oh, I know. How? I How like, did your bag make it, but not mine? When I
0: put an air tag <laughs> in it, you know, like that matters. It doesn't matter. It doesn't guarantee. You. They're not like, oh, this bag has an ear tag in it. We better make sure it gets on the plane. They don't care. It's wild. Anyways, yeah, LA, LA Marathon. That's what we're talking about today. I didn't run, you ran.
1: So, again, we're recording this podcast two weeks early. So, it happened on Sunday, March 19th. And no, today... Was it the
0: 19th yes, or the
1: 18th? March 19th. Oh, yeah. Okay. I had the dates all mixed up. Right, so a lot of people, people were
0: messaging you on Saturday like,
1: good luck today because you had screwed it up. Yeah, typical yeah. me. So the marathon was Sunday, March 19th. It is now Wednesday, March 21st. So I'm three days out from the marathon, still sore.
0: I think it would be weird if you weren't sore. Why do you think
1: marathons are on Sundays always? Have you ever thought about this? I think probably so that they have the weekend to get everything set up like the Saturday. There's a lot to organize. Plus I think it's important to have the expo on a weekend day for people who work on Fridays. Yeah. To be able. Uh, yeah. But I think didn't I run the half marathon in Calgary on a Saturday? Well, it
0: that was through like Fish Creek Park. Were you running on the road? You weren't running on the road.
1: Yeah, for part of it. Oh, but uh, it was still I think that was on a Saturday.
0: I just googled and Runner's World said generally speaking, it's hard to hold a race on a Saturday because even though it's a weekend day, most businesses are open, so it becomes tricky to close streets. Not a major problem for a 5 to 10K, but certainly a major problem for longer races. It also allows big races to hold expos and registration on Friday and Saturday. There it is. So it's actually probably more income and then getting volunteers. Yeah. I bet that's part of it.
1: LA was interesting in terms of organizing.
0: So LA is the third major marathon that you've run. Fourth.
1: Fourth. But well, third and third the most recent ten, yeah. in the last 10 years.
0: Like a, I'm doing like big city marathon. Yeah. Well, so the experience, what was the experience like compared to just not from a running, but from a, a racer experience standpoint
1: compared to Chicago and Boston? So Chicago and especially Boston, they like the city is excited to have the marathon going on that weekend. You feel it. You feel it when you get to the airport you feel it when you like get into your downtown hotel, there's like posters up. You can see other runners like walking around downtown. I think it helps that the finish, Chicago finishes and starts in the same place. It's a loop. And that's right kind of near downtown, like just on the outskirts of downtown. So it's a little bit easier to get to. You literally just walk to the start. It was a few blocks away for us. Same with Boston you have to take a bus to the start, but the buses pick you up just in downtown. There's tons of people just walking around with their Boston jackets on. And it's just, it's very much like marathon weekend.
0: It has like a music festival feel to it.
1: And Boston actually is run on the Monday. Is it? Yeah, you're totally right. They
0: close, it's like a holiday. Yeah. They run it on Patriots Day. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Which was kind of cool, but LA was different. It was like, no one, you'd say like, oh, I'm here for the marathon. They were yeah. like, oh, like they, no one knows it's the marathon. I don't think LA actually wants the marathon to be there. And apparently they have, they've changed the course quite a bit, which makes sense because I'm sure there's just a lot of complaints. So it starts at Dodger Stadium, which yes. is a big area, but getting in and out of Dodger Stadium Holy was cow. brutal. And then you also run around Dodger Stadium, like on the roads around it to kind of get out onto the track that runs west towards Century Park, which is where it finished. So a lot of the roads around Dodger Stadium were closed on Sunday morning, which made it difficult to get to the start yeah. for drop-off. So it was a 12-minute drive and it took us like 30 minutes because we kept having to get like rerouted. That was wild. So
0: like we stayed downtown because it's actually relatively close to Dodger Stadium as far as like where you can stay in LA and where you might want to stay. And, yeah, the race packet was like, this is the start, you know, where to drop off in your GPS, navigate to this location. It was very explicit. But it doesn't tell you that basically every route is closed at that morning. They're just closing roads. So I remember we left yeah, like a 12 minute drive to Dodger Stadium from downtown L.A. where we were staying. We left an hour early. We left at
1: 530. Race starts at seven. And you had to be there what, like 630. I mean, they basically tell you to be there at five. But I was like, absolutely not. Maybe but that's the because corrals they... closed at 640. Basically, every attempt to like exit and go towards Dodger Stadium
0: was like, nope, try again. Nope, try again. And so it's LA. And even at that time of day, it's kind of a hectic driving situation. Rented a car with a manual transmission, <laughs> which fine, but also very hard to like fiddle with a GPS. Alex, in typical Alex fashion, left her phone at home. So she was no help. <laughs> And so I'm like shifting gears, like clicking on my GPS, trying to like look at where it's trying to reroute me, and decide is that something we've tried before? Yes. Okay, click that. Okay, no, click that. It was really,
1: really crazy. And we finally, at one point, in my very helpful way, I just was sitting there in silence, and I said, "Is it going to be okay?"
0: And I had to lie and say, "Yes, of course. I know everything will be fine." There's nothing not fine about this situation. We finally make it onto that stadium road. And then it was just like bumper to bumper. It was crazy that that was the only access in because it was like so many people were trying to get to the start. And then, you know, the longer that you sat there, they just like runners started just getting out of the car, whoever was driving them and like walking. And it wasn't like, I don't know how far you ended up having to walk, but it wasn't short.
1: Yeah. It was probably like 10 to 15 minutes so about a kilometer or so. We had been in traffic for a few minutes already, like probably 15 minutes. So I was like quite a ways up. Some people were walking. Like you said, when you turned around,
0: when I turned around, and got back onto 110, like the highway, there were people pulling off the shoulder. And this is crazy to me on the highway and letting people out. And then like how those people even got up the cliff to get towards the stadium. I have no idea, but I was like, that's crazy. And also not how you want to be starting your marathon day.
1: No, that talk about high stress. But. So Meredith dropped me off and I basically went up and in and I wasn't rushed. I was like, there were porta potties and there were some that were farther out from the start line. Then I just waited around and I went through them twice. It just wasn't well, like there was a ton of half marathon people who I guess were starting after the marathon people. So I was like, Oh, I'm I'm doing well. Like there's a lot of people still in these lineups for the bathroom. And then I realized like none of them had a letter yeah. in front of their number, and I was like, Oh, this is weird and basically had to like maneuver my way through this huge crowd of people to get to my corral, which was A, which is right at the start. And that was important to me because the last two marathons, I've had to start basically like with slower runners. And that's been difficult because you have to like move around them. And so I really wanted to get a good start position. And so I had to go through all the half marathon people who were already lined up and then realized when I got to the front, I was in the completely wrong section. Uh So I had to go all the way back. And it was like, Bumper to bumper with people. Yeah. And I was that person that was like, excuse me, excuse me, pardon me, like basically pushing through. I hate being that person. But I'm like, I have to like, I have to get to the right start line. By that time, it was like 6.52. I'm like, starts in eight minutes here. And finally got to the right way and like got into Corral C. But I guess, thankfully, it wasn't divided.
0: You could just walk from Corral C all the way to Corral A. Yeah. And so
1: like when I was near in Corral A, like near the front, there were people from C's, like with letter C's on their name. It was just it was just a shit show. And then thankfully, I got to the right Corral, but it was stressful. And then also the bathroom I went in, the last time I went in, I had like my last nervous poop and there was no toilet paper. (laughs) And so I had to use cardboard. Like cardboard from the toilet paper roll. I mean, who
0: hasn't done that? But like that
1: doesn't really work.
0: No. And also, Al. (laughs) Talk about the opposite of Charmin. You know? Those bears that are like wiping their asses, like, it feels so good. That is not the situation when you're using it. And I was
1: ticked because I'm like, somebody walked out and saw me walking in and didn't say, like, hey, there's no toilet paper in there.
0: But also on brand for the experience. Yeah
1: i feel like I that warned the guy after me. I was like, by the way, there's no toilet paper and the cardboard's gone too.
0: <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, it's crazy. I guess what, what kind of blew me away was the lack of care or attention to signage. Like it was like they didn't care if people even made it there. They're just like, we're going to close the roads. It wasn't like I feel like in, in any other city or situation, you'd have a sign that was like for Dodger Stadium, follow this route.
1: Yeah, there was they, nothing like that. They did send an email out the night before that said leave early. That was what it said. It just said, leave early. And then they said, it is going to be busy driving to Dodger Stadium. So make sure you give yourself enough time. That was the entire email. And so I was like, okay, 530 works. I mean, I I did make it to the start. But there were definitely people, I was telling you, who were passing me in the second half. And not like passing me because I had slowed down. Like they were good runners Mm -hmm. who clearly missed the start. Because they would have been ahead of me. Earlier. They were passing me and I was like, dang, you are a really good runner. Like, what happened to you? And I bet you that they missed the start and they basically just had to like run from behind.
0: It was the same thing when I was trying to park towards the finish line, though, in Santa Monica Boulevard area. You know, you get up there and they give you the address of parking decks. This is the crazy thing. They like navigate here and just road closures everywhere. And it's like they didn't even do it. Like Google has no idea. So it's just trying. There's no signage. I like stumbled upon a parking deck with this tiny, just like event parking sign. And that was how I found it. And I just happened to drive up on it. And it turns out it was like the main parking. I'm like you guys can't get an electronic sign. What kind of race is this?
1: Yeah, it was weird for a, a bigger marathon. I was pretty surprised, honestly. Like I know it's never going to be Chicago. It's never going to be Boston, but I wouldn't not recommend the LA marathon, but it definitely wouldn't be one that's like the easiest in terms of Logistics, which is Mm -hmm. nerve wracking because I already get nervous for logistics, like getting to the start line on time. For the number of people that were in Chicago specifically, that was extremely well organized. Like the corrals were very well patrolled. Like there weren't people in different corrals. They had to start in waves and heats. Like it was crazy how well organized it was for the number of people. And then Boston too, because you're getting on buses. And so that also needs to be well organized. It was just, it was a completely different experience for me. It was very stressful.
0: And I, I think that for Boston and Chicago, while you were running, I was doing like race updates with like, you know, the history of the race. And I think legitimately it may just be because it's not a very old race. It's only been run like 38 times since 1986, 85. So it just doesn't have the history that the other races do. It just seems like there's so, like, probably so much going on in LA because it's LA that it just doesn't get the attention or isn't prioritized in the same way. Yeah. Like, make, there was no, like, the only thing I could find for like history of LA marathon is that they started running it after the Olympics were held in LA because there was okay. a bunch of excitement with the Olympic marathon. And that's when they decided to have a race. So that's when it started. And that's it. That's like the only fact. There's no fun facts. I couldn't find any like celebrity people who've run it. I guess Diplo, the DJ, ran it this year. I don't know. Didn't see him out there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess I would be like, if Dead Mouse ran it, you'd be able to tell because of the. Anyways, I, that went right over your head. It yeah. did. Yeah, for sure. Um, Dead Mouse or Mickey Mouse? I both would be very <laughs> easy to pick out in a marathon, I think. So. Yeah, just I was like, oh, it's there's like nothing to talk about really, except how many times they've changed the route because how annoyed the neighborhoods and businesses get with having their Sunday disrupted.
1: Yeah. The course was good. Like there weren't any shenanigans on the course. There were a lot of turns, it seemed, but everything was well directed. Like you kind of had an idea of like what direction you were moving in and that sort of thing. Once you were on the course, everything was fine. Okay. Let's talk about
0: performance. Because I think that's kind of the main talking point today. So If you listened to the pre-marathon episode and even the last time we talked about your running, I think we were kind of talked about some goal times. I know you're not one to like set a goal time, but low threes, potentially
1: sub three was kicking around. So how did that go? Not well. I'll just recap the pre-marathon episode very, very briefly. I originally was thinking I had sub three in me and this was in the fall. I was thinking I'm going to train with the marathon pace of sub three, which is around uh, four, 15 minute per kilometer pace. I was able to hit those paces even despite running in a lot of snowy and cold weather, but I never ran longer than a half marathon distance at that pace. So it was kind of like, it's it was a question mark of whether I could do it. As I kind of got closer to the race, I was thinking, I don't know if this is such a good idea. Like, I don't know if I have the confidence to do and I'm stressing myself out. I'm going to lay off the sub three goal time and just, you know, keep training hard and kind of see how that goes. I was thinking, what if I just go for like a 303, 302, so that would be like a 420 minute per kilometer pace, which doesn't seem like much, but it is. It's like a pretty big difference for me, at least. Then... I discovered that the LA Marathon is very undulating. And what? when did you discover this? About a week out. Classic. I think I typed in what to know about the LA Marathon. And then it was like LA Marathon elevation and that sort of thing. And basically discovered that it's almost the same as Boston. Like the profile is like ridiculously very similar. similar. And in Boston, I struggled with the hills. I will say that when I was training for Boston... I didn't run on any hills. I basically trained down at the river. Yeah. Whereas like this time I did a lot more neighborhood runs and I live in a very hilly neighborhood. And then I also was running in Fernie and there are a couple big hills in Fernie that I would basically run every single run that I did there. So I would say I did more runs, but I've never really done any hill repeats. I haven't practiced running at pace on hills. Yeah. I think in hindsight, that's probably what I missed in training. But, like
0: running hard
1: on hills. Yeah, yeah. And like, like practicing cadence on hills and that sort of thing. But basically it was kind of like, well, there's nothing I can do about it now. At least I know what it's going to feel like because I ran Boston. Yeah. But it starts with a pretty aggressive downhill. And so in my mind, it's like, and this is what I did in Boston. Like you, you have to take advantage of the downhill. And they always warn you in articles and stuff like, don't go out too fast. And it's downhill. So it's a trap. But at the same time, like knowing that there are going to be hills going uphill throughout the race and in Boston, especially at the end, like you have to bank time because you're not going to be able to run an even steady pace on the downhill and the uphill, especially at the end. It's going to slow you down, at least for me. So I thought, well, I'll start out faster and just ease into it. And then the night before I was talking to my dad, who's a very experienced marathoner. He basically was like, you should just go for sub three. Like, he's like, you're not going to blow up. You know, you're really dialed in with your pre-race stuff. You know how to fuel on the course. Like, you know, you might not get it, but like, try. Yeah. Like, if, you know, if you lose time in the end, at least you, you went for it. And he's like, you don't make up time in the marathon. You don't really make up time on the back half of any distance race.
0: You're going to slow down.
1: Like, if you have negative splits, or is it, yeah, negative? Yeah, ne- if you're running faster at the end than the beginning. Then something didn't go, like, that's not usually how people do it.
0: Unless you're running,
1: like, I don't know if that course even exists, like an uphill at the start, a downhill. I guess maybe it's possible, but it's just, it's not common. We'll say you don't get a bunch of time back if you start out too slow. So anyways, my dad said, go for it. And at that point I was feeling so good. I had tapered. You're at sea level. I was feeling confident. I really believed in myself. Yeah. I was excited. I'm like, I'm going to run a sub three. So I ran the first few kilometers quite quickly. I ran it quicker than I was wanting to. Yeah. But because there was a pacer runner, he was going for a three hour marathon, the pacer. He was running really fast. And so I was like, I can't run as fast as him. He was running like a sub four minute per kilometer pace. That's not a good pace for me. I I can't sustain that pace. It could impact me being able to like recover from an effort like that, even on a downhill. So I was like, I'll just keep him in my sights yep. and I'll catch him later. <laughs> I didn't catch him. But so I kind of blamed him because he was going really fast. And I was like, okay, maybe there's like something to running way faster at the start, which I think maybe there was, because it was extremely undulating. The whole time. The entire time. And we were running into the wind and like the wind wasn't blasting, but when you're running for three hours in one direction and there's even a slight wind, like it has an impact. And so that kind of sucked but I was like, don't let that get you down. Just like run your race, stay strong. You can do it. You can do it. I think I got to like halfway. I ran the first half of the race in like one twenty eight thirty, which is pretty much like the best half marathon I've ever run. Yeah. I mean,
0: your 5k was 20 minutes and 24 seconds.
1: Yeah. So that's like, I was speeding and I thought, okay, I've banked a bunch of time. Now I can just like stay comfortable. That lasted for probably two kilometers. Uh, Two miles. After the half marathon. After, and I was like, okay, I, I, I'm i going to need to slow down. I don't think three hours in the cards, but like, hey, I can still get a good time. And then pretty much every mile after that, it just got worse and worse and worse. Like it was like, okay, just stay under like 425 pace. Okay, just stay under 430. I can sustain 430. It's going to be hard, but I can do it. And it was like 440. And then it was like, there was a kilometer or a mile in there where I was like, just stay under five minutes. Yeah, Five minutes is the really moderate, easy pace. That's like
0: the pace you train at.
1: Yeah. And I'm like, I rarely ever run slower than five. And so that was like, that was the cap for me in my mind. For me, it's really like run at five minutes or walk. I don't really know how to run that much slower. It's just like, you might as well just walk. Then I got to the 20 mile mark and was like, this is really not good. Not even time wise. I was like, I feel awful. I started feeling like nausea Mm. and not from like, the carbs I was taking in or the liquid just from the effort. Like it was so much, it was so much effort. (laughs) It was like, I was trying to describe it to somebody who has only really done CrossFit. It's like, you know, that feeling you get in like a 2K row at the end where the things aren't working, Yeah, but like mentally you're like, I can, I can do it. I know I can do it, but it's like, you can't like your body just is like, not working. It's like shutting down. Yeah. It was like that just not as acute.
0: It's like that. But also you have maybe not as severe, but you also are looking forward and, and seeing like, I have six more miles.
1: to go. I have 45 minutes of running left to do 45. Like it yeah. started hurting. And I was like, I'm barely in the single digits on kilometers here. So it's like, you're almost there, but you're still so far away. Yeah. And then by the end, it was like, I mean, I remember getting to like 42.2 kilometers, which is like the marathon distance. And I could see the finish line. Even then, I didn't even get that like, oh, you're almost there, that like kick. yeah. It was still like the last extra 0.3 kilometers because you know how you have to run a little more usually. It was still like every step, like just don't walk. Right to the finish. It was just this building desire to not run anymore. And it Mm -hmm. was so strong. Like it took so much mental and physical strength to not walk. It was insane for me. Like I can't, I can't even describe to you how bad it was. And it was very similar to when I ran San Francisco 10 years ago, where again, I think I was running a little bit outside of my capabilities for the first half and just really crunched myself. My obvious
0: question is with six miles to go, what's the self-talk? Because you end up in a really dark place, I think. And The ability to just continue running, especially at a pace. Like, how do you talk yourself
1: into doing that? I was telling myself, like, there were moments where I audibly said, and I used a swear word, but I'm not going to use it here, like, F my life. Like, I said that outwardly. Like, I'd pass a mile mark at like 23 and just be like, F me. I'm not okay. Like, I'm not, I don't know if I can do this. But then you have this like flip side where you're like, you have to accept the fact that you're going to do it. Like you're still running. I did see on the side of the road someone who was like not okay. Like he was like dizzy. He was kind of stumbling, and he ended up just sitting down. And someone came to him. I'm like, that's not me. My physical potential is more than what my brain is telling me it is right now. Like I know I can do it. I just have to understand that it, I don't want to. Like it, it's gonna hurt. So it's like a constant battle of back and forth of like, this is awful. You have so far to go. Yeah. And like, no, you can do it. You're okay someone would say like, you're looking strong. And then I'd be like, am I? I feel awful. And then I'm like, no, you are strong. You are looking strong. Like it's just back and forth, Mm -hmm. back and forth. And just trying to make those like positive thoughts like stick and really believe them. Like I read in that book, How Bad Do You Want It by Matt Fitzgerald. If you can talk to yourself in third person, that can be helpful. That's what I was going to ask if you did that. So I do that like, Alex, you're okay. That helps. But it's again, it's just, you have to be telling yourself that so frequently to fight off those really bad thoughts of like, you know, you can just walk, just walk. Yeah. Like just walk for a minute and you see people walking. Yeah. So you're like, well, they're walking. Yeah. But then you're like, don't be that person. It's weird. It's a weird phenomenon. But the amount of focus required each and every step almost was really high.
0: Yep. I guess that's the the battle, the, the internal battle I think is really cool because I, I think a lot of people... Probably have those feelings of the like you know f me yeah and then they they get sucked into that versus like the back and forth and being willing to continue to work with yourself and like talk to yourself through it I think that's really
1: cool. There were moments where I was just so mad at myself because I'm thinking like why did I think that I could do sub three or why did I run the first half so fast you know I've done this to myself like Alex you're so stupid but then you have to accept what's done is done. And deal with it.
0: The ultimate staying present in the moment, even when like the moment feels like the whole marathon, but really the moment is the step that you're gonna take next. Yeah. It's the next kilometer. It's like you you have to put
1: yourself in a bubble of time. Yeah. I was thinking running, hey, this is really bad. You're hurting, like your muscles are hurting, your glutes are hurting, you don't feel good, but at least you're not injured. That's like I was like (laughs) there's a bright side here. Like you don't have like actual joint pain. Yeah. Your feet feel fine. In Chicago, I had a really bad foot thing, like it really hurt on my bones. So I'm like, at least I don't have that.
0: <laughs> I mean, could be worse. Like,
1: anything to just keep this, like l- even just like sprinkles of positivity. Yes.
0: Yeah. It from my like viewing spectating. The only thing I really had was the tracker. So obviously like your, your splits at the beginning were really quick, but everyone's were like, you, you can go back and look at the people who won or finished, you know, really well. And their splits were faster. The discrepancy wasn't quite as large, the fall off, but there was fall off. So Mm -hmm. I think that people are definitely running quicker at the start. And then I remember around the like 25 kilometer mark, there was a distinct sort of drop. Like you were late for that checkpoint. Yeah. And then it, you know, saw the pace. Okay. It's not terrible. And then I was always, I was checking the elevation and I was like, well, there's a hill at this point and that could have caused the slowdown. And then it was, yeah, I think your 35K split was when it was like, oh yeah, she's really kind of suffering here. Then I saw you come in and it was like, oh, you don't usually run quite like that. Like you just looked very fatigued and concentrated. Like I was yelling at you and there was just nothing. I don't think you were hearing anything at that point. No,
1: I don't remember hearing anything. And it's funny, you go in with a goal. It's funny how perspective changes. You go in with a goal of sub three. And that's, and I had my sights set on it. I said, I overestimated my capabilities. Someone said, that is another way for you believed in yourself. And I certainly did believe in myself. And so going in with this goal of like sub three, even though it was decided really the night before, as soon as I lost that goal, I realized in the marathon, I was going to do it. Part of me was like, okay, you know, 302, 303, still good. It's still good. I'm like, yeah, 3.03 is still good. That would be a five-minute PR. And then by the end, I was like, just run faster than I did in Boston or just keep running. I wasn't even thinking about Boston. I just wanted to get finished. Yeah. But I crossed the finish line and I was like, there wasn't a moment of like extreme disappointment because in my mind, it was like, I failed to achieve my goal. When you have a goal of sub three and you run a 3.07, then 3.07 just isn't good. But then you have to be like, no, 3.07 is still good for you. It's still a PR. So I kind of like... Grappled with that, even just walking from the finish line to find you it was like there was emotion of not achieving my goal and like being disappointed, but there was emotion of like, hey, you stuck with it and you still pr, yeah, hey, you didn't walk. There was so much emotion,
0: and I think too it's, LA, and I I started doing some digging. Almost no one prs at LA the winners, the people in the top three, the men and the women ran like five to seven minutes slower than their best, their marathon personal bests. And I think that speaks to how challenging that course is. So the fact that you PR'd at all is really amazing. And I think that you can't not acknowledge that. But with that said, you know we did a lot of sharing on our Instagram that day. And when I came and found you with your AirTag, I walked up and you know, you can just like, you know, someone really well and you can, you just know their body language. And I was walking up and you were facing away from me. You were just standing. It was like something out of a movie. Like people were moving around you and you were just standing still kind of like looking off into the distance, probably just trying to be still so that your air tag would work. And you were really emotional. And I figured that you would be just because I figured it was really hard. I was like, well, we do need to book in this Instagram coverage so i i asked if i could like you know video you and you could sort of give the summary and you kind of lost it big time on that video as i was videoing it i almost stopped because it felt a little too raw and vulnerable and then i didn't and we haven't put up something in recent history that has gotten so much positive feedback i think that it's rare for someone in the sports world to number one share any kind of emotion but be open with how they're actually feeling. I mean, you see it all the time in athletes, especially in CrossFit, but I'm sure others and they they just kind of wash over the difficulty of not meeting a goal. They say, you know, you'll hear, "Well, you know, I went out there and I did my best and that's all I can do and I'm happy with that." And it's, you know, it kind of downplays the emotions that they're probably feeling. And I don't think you are particularly in control of your emotions at that moment in time, but to put that out there as an elite athlete who's achieved a great deal and will achieve a great deal more in your career, I think it really made people feel seen. Like, oh, this is something that, that elite athletes deal with too. Not that you're quite an elite runner, but you're getting there.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, objectively, my time is still good in comparison to other people who run marathons. Yeah. So it's like not that many people run marathons. And then within the marathon running group, it's a, considered a faster time, not elite, but it's on the Higher percentage. So, like, like
0: probably top 1% from a time standpoint. It's
1: like, it's hard. You know, There, most people are like, wow, this is great to see like the emotion. I think a lot of people understand the difficulty of like, you know, being proud of an effort and not achieving a goal and being frustrated or sad about it.
0: I don't think many people understand that at all. In fact, the number of people who were kind of like, no, you should be proud. Like, not that many people did that. A handful. But yeah. I think that's, it's a really, like the emotions are kind of on paper, a little bit conflicting because you are, you can be proud of an effort and disappointed with the results.
1: Yes. And that's exactly what it was. And there weren't that many people fewer than I was expecting who were like, you know, keep your head up or you should be proud of this. It's still really good. And it's like, I am proud and my head is high. I hold my head high. My head is up, but like, I can still be emotional knowing that I didn't achieve a goal or knowing that I could have done better for many different reasons. Like that's okay to be disappointed. I didn't cry all the way home or wish I had done something differently or said shoulda, coulda, woulda. Like I don't have those, I don't keep those words in my vocabulary. Yeah. I think a lot of people understood those yeah. conflicting emotions because it it's not just running a marathon, it's everything in life. Like, you know, people don't get jobs, they don't get promotions. And it's like, of course, they will be disappointed. But they also have to be proud of the effort that they had been considered for the job. They learn from those interviews or whatever it may be. I think a lot of people in life, there's just, you can relate to that to some degree. And certainly if you've run a distance race, you would feel that.
0: I think it goes back to the phrase that we read in Brad Stolberg's book, which is just, it's hard to care. Not like, oh, it's hard to care. Like it is hard to care because when you truly care about what you're doing, you open yourself up to disappointment and emotions and failure and everything that comes with like striving greatly. And I think that a lot of people probably move through life and they do their best to not care because it's easier in a way. It's safer. You feel like you're not going to get hurt. But ultimately, you know, we as as humans, and this is the real value of sport, I think you connect through that vulnerability. And I think people felt very connected to on that day. You know, that's what we're here for is to care Deeply about what we do, and connect through the vulnerability that comes from that place. And I think that was a really great example of it. And I'm proud of you. Thanks. you. And know, I've seen the work. Like I don't, I don't think it. If you don't live up here, it's hard to explain what the training conditions are like in the winter time. I don't think many people have it in them to do what you did, and commit to running mm-hmm. five days a week in the winter time in Alberta. I don't think many people have that in them. That alone, even if you didn't have a race, if you, even if the accomplishment was sticking to the goal of running five days a week in the wintertime in Alberta, it's amazing. You took that and you ran a PR in LA, which is one of the hardest courses to run a PR on.
1: Yeah, thanks. It's funny, I was talking to my dad, who, like I said, an experienced marathoner. He's uh, never ran under two hours and 30 minutes, but was in and around there. And he He's done LA, he's done New York, he's done the big marathons. And like he understands that some days aren't your day for whatever reason. He's had days where he's he's bonked, not achieved his goal. But like, especially when you get to a point where like you're on the edge of your potential, sometimes it's like you're riding the line. Sometimes you cross it. Thankfully I didn't cross it so far that I had to walk. But there are people who've done that. My dad did it. And it it's like every race that you run is an experience that's gonna make you a stronger runner. Cause it's not just about running. It's not just about the training. It's about knowing yourself. It's learning from race to race, okay, this is what I did in this last race under these conditions, like that is going to help me influence like what my strategy is for the next run or inform how I'm going to run the next race, whether it's this time, this next fall race or you know if I ever decide to run LA again. Like it's a lot of marathoning I think is about the experiences that you get. Yeah. I'm sure there are people out there who go and they run amazing races right off the bat. It's like, that's, but I don't think a lot of people are that.
0: No. And even if that happens, like there will come a race and a time when they don't have a good day. And then it's how you, like, what do you do after that? You quit? Do you say, Oh, I ran a bad race. I'm not going to run anymore. Or do you put your shoes back on and say, that wasn't my best race, but I learned this, this, and this, and I can take that forward and be a better runner, better yeah. athlete, better person. You know, it's not, falling down, it's getting back up or I don't know. There's all these like motivational say they're actually quite good. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, there's no failure. There's only learning.
1: Yeah. I think even if you were
0: to show up for a race grossly underprepared and fail, there's an opportunity to learn from that. I guess the burning question is what are you going to run next?
1: I might run another spring race. Mentally, I want to like, I want a bit of redemption. I want to try again. Unfinished business. I, I still think I have a faster time in me I'm not certain but I want to try. Yeah. I want to try on a on a flatter course. I want to try different time of the month. I was unfortunately for the third time in a row on my third marathon I got my period the day after the race. And like not because it just came due to stress. Like I was in that point of my cycle
0: which like is like day
1: 27.
0: Yeah, not ideal like, for Every time
1: I don't understand how I I pick these marathons like 6 to 7 months out this is the third time in a row where my it's fallen on the day after. Like I'm due to get my period either on the day of the marathon or within two days after it's really frustrating. And like, I'm not somebody who gets a lot of symptoms, but like I do get some symptoms.
0: Yeah. And it's like, even the difference between training and competing during that time, you can probably train through it and just sort of chalk it up to garbage miles. You don't even think about it, but then it's, yeah, when it's time to run a fast race, it's just not physiologically the best Situation.
1: To be no. In. Or do you really want to be running a marathon, wondering if you're going to get your period during the marathon? Which I thought that I did, finished, went to medical. I basically just like poked my head into the tent and was like, hey, does anybody have a tampon? Because I was like, going to go to the porta potty. Yeah. And they were like, oh, um, I'm not sure. And so basically I got one cardboard one yikes and one like extra super and I was like oh gosh I don't want to have to use either one of these things so I go to the porta potty and there was no no period it was like phantom like I got my period feelings during the race there was a lot going on in those last six miles but certainly not ideal yeah I ended up getting it the next day and I was like gosh dang it but that's okay. So I think if I potentially run a spring race, it might be the Calgary Marathon in 10 weeks, which will be good timing. And then I'll probably pick a fall race in the U.S., something a little bit flatter as well. Flip, 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 Philadelphia. maybe potentially.
0: Yeah. I think this will be very relatable to people who are runners and even not runners. If you had to sum up LA, the, the main takeaways, what would you say? I guess before
1: we wrap up, outside of the marathon, what were the highlights of the trip? I've been to LA before, but this was the first time being in downtown LA, DTLA as they call it. And it was really cool to kind of experience some of the restaurants there because wow, they have really good food. We did Grand Central Market the first day for lunch. yep, And that was pretty awesome. And then we did Sugarfish on Thursday night, which is some sushi restaurant that Meredith has been wanting to, to for ages. Love Sugarfish. And that was really good. And then, yeah, we did some beach time Friday and Saturday. Yep. Like not on the beach in our bathing suits, but just kind of walking around. So it was a little bit of a cooler couple of days. I we, still
0: got a sunburn though.
1: Yeah, Meredith did get a sunburn, of course. <laughs> we met with some people. I met with a client that I've been working with for, I think, three years now. So it was cool to meet him. And then we met with Shante Cofield who, if you know, we've been on her podcast, I think, five times now. The Movement Maestro. So it was cool to meet her. We had a really long lunch and we were just chatting it up for we like, sat three there for hours. Like, yeah, we
0: were like two and a half hours. And if I didn't have to go pay for parking or we didn't have somewhere to be, I probably would have sat there even longer. I just We're good buddies. And it's like there's just someone in the universe who gets it and is so similar in values and lifestyle. And that was a good time.
1: Yeah, And then I think any time we get to travel somewhere together and have an experience together is a good weekend in my mind.
0: Yeah, we stayed at the Ace, downtown LA, which I love. I love those. I love that hotel more and more. Like every time we go and stay at one, you know, as a gay person. And I realize that LA is fairly progressive, despite the fact that we were sort of, I guess, we were on the boardwalk at Redondo and we got attacked by religious extremists, Christians.
1: saying that we could be... Forgiven for our sins. sins. And I was like, please, please leave me alone.
0: Go away. Anyways, the ACE, there are spaces as a gay person, you just feel really safe.
1: That's one. Yeah.
0: Because there's, I don't know where, they have a very diverse staff. there. very diverse. Yeah. Queer, non-binary, just like. Generally
1: very friendly and not, and down to earth. Yeah. I love that. It was a really wonderful experience being at that hotel. I will say, And this has nothing to do with really LA or the trip or the marathon, but on the way home, when we were in the airport, we got a text from Lindsay Martin, who you all know who was watching Rue, our dog. She has two dogs. One is a couple months older than Rue, Georgia. And then one that's, I think like what, four years old now, Millie. I don't think Millie's four yet. Yeah. Something like that. Two or three. Anyways, she sends us a text that says, I don't know which one is in heat. So they're both in diapers.
0: And it was a picture of Rue and Georgia wearing diapers, (laughs) looking very unhappy. And it was probably the hardest I have laughed in a long time.
1: Yeah. And then the the conversation that happened after that over text message was pretty hilarious of like telling her to check Rue's vulva to see if it was red and swollen. (laughs) how do I find and it? And like, I was definitely just joking when I told her to check her Volva and Lindsay's like, hold on one sec.
0: <laughs> like, sense a picture <laughs> of Rue's pants. Like, how do I get to it? Yeah, it was really funny. Turned out to be a false alarm. No one's in heat yet. There's just so some good. mystery blood on <laughs> Lindsay's floor. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, it was a good trip. But I guess that's it. That's a wrap on LA. Yeah. I think the next time we go to LA will be for a vacation only. Stay at the beach. But it was a great, experience even though you didn't get the outcome that you wanted i think that we will look back on this fondly for even sure if you never
1: run la again for sure if yeah. i were to wrap up la it was tough but i'm proud of the effort and i learned a lot that's perfect that's the perfect race experience yeah
0: thank you all for listening to this episode it means a lot we hope you enjoyed it and took some nuggets away And we'll catch you on the next one